This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. You know how many times the Bible talks about being thankful or giving thanks? It's a commonplace thing in the Scripture. It's a part of living a spirit-filled life. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks for all things under the Father. Giving thanks. Where it says unthankful, it's a combination of a word that means the doing away with thankfulness. So it's not just talking about the heart of a certain individual. It's not talking about just personal behavior. It's talking about the society, mankind at large, that's no longer thankful for anything. Same thing's true with the next word where it says unholy. The word holy is referring to sacred things. It means re to remove. Unholy, unholiness, or the word unholy used here, literally means, and again, this is the only place it's used in Scripture in the New Testament. Wouldn't be in the Old Testament because it was in Hebrew rather than Greek. But it means a removal of the sacred things of life. There's, there's hardly anything outside of the church where there's any respect for anything sacred. Paul said that would be one of the things, the characteristics of the end of the end times. Without natural affection, this natural affection does not mean, as many people want it to mean, homosexuality. It's talking about without natural affection for your family. It's talking about further the breakdown of the family. Parental love toward children, children loving their parents. It's a removal of all those things. Truce breakers. You could apply this to any and every area. It's been translated things meaning litigiousness, or how quick people are willing to file suit and to break truces, break uh, contracts, and, and so forth. <clears throat> but there's some real strong evidence, even though it's a brand new word that Paul coined by the Holy Ghost, again, just as with others, it probably means, or it could mean. It's hard for me to say probably because I'm not the one the word was given to. But it could mean there's some pretty strong evidence that he's talking about divorce as being the covenant of the, uh, that is broken, the betrayal. So without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers. This word false accusers is interesting because it literally means devils. So there's one thought, one school of thought with certain commentators that Paul in the middle of this prophecy, in the middle of this thing that the Holy Ghost has shown him so clearly and so precisely that Paul just is making an exclamation at the work of the devil in society. Or he could be just adding this to the prophecy. And if so, he's identifying the number one characteristic of the devil, and that's to bring accusation. Now, folks, if that's true, that should become a part of our understanding about how the devil works. 
Again, he's talking about the world, not necessarily the church. But as I said before, anything that the devil is able to do in the world, he certainly wants to infiltrate and, and contaminate the church with it too. And if that's the case, then the number one thing he talks about the devil is false accuser. How does that apply to us? Well, it applies to us in a couple of ways. One is we need to look at and understand how the devil works in the world. But we need to also understand that the devil is working overtime to falsely accuse us. Now, I'm not so concerned with what people outside of my realm of influence accuse me of. The area that I have the biggest trouble with is the devil accusing me to God and accusing me to myself. Those are the biggest works that the devil has in the Christian, in the believer, to hold us back to make false accusations against us so that we feel unworthy to do whatever we have in our heart to do or whatever the Word tells us. He knows how to do it. So false accusers, devils literally, is what Paul talks about next. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Incontinence has to do with power or the absence of power. Now, the word that's used here is the word that's always referred to in Scripture. As, again, it's a combination of words. One of the words is used, of the words that is used is dunamis, which always refers to the power of the Holy Ghost. It's talking about the creative power of God. It's talking about the sustaining power of God. So where it talks about incontinent, it's talking about a denial of the power of God. And notice what he attaches to that. He attaches fierce or savageness. This word fierce means to be savage. And he attaches to that despisers of those that are good. Again, he's talking about the world. He's talking about the attitude that the world takes, not just to the church, the church only becomes a target because the church believes in moral absolutes. Some of these bills and some of the th measures that are going before the state legislature and, and that type of thing here in California are designed to remove the church's ability to insert moral absolutes, the teaching of moral absolutes. Because if anybody hears and believes that, the truth of moral absolutes, the fact that there are moral absolutes, the fact that mankind is made up of either men or women, and that homosexuality is a sin. Well, see, that kind of teaching, that kind of stand, if the church took it, will bring conviction and condemnation to other wrongdoing. So you got to get rid of that. Got to remove that. Folks, the world doesn't care two hoots about the church. They just don't want to feel bad about what they want to do. Despisers of those that are good. Traitors just means betrayers. Heady. There's a, a word that um, 
is used earlier on. I, I, I missed it when we went by. But this word heady is similar to it. It means intellectual snootiness. It means, and again, the word is not here. This is not the word heady, but it was used earlier up in the list. And it identifies the thinking or the idea that someone is so d developed in their intellect that they're superior to everybody else. Well, we see that as the justification for all, a lot of things that are done. We see a lot of that in the news media. We see a lot of that in government. We see a lot of ideas or the promotion of the idea that you're too stupid to know what you need to do. So somebody's got to decide that for you. So this betrayal will be a sign of the end of the end. Heady. This carries with it the idea of impulsiveness, impulsive decisions without thinking about the consequences thereof. High-minded. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I want you to notice this. High-minded. Paul talks about high-mindedness in other places. It's not this word. He doesn't use this same word. This is a new word too, I believe, if I remember correctly. But in other places, Paul talks about high-mindedness as being anything, any thought, any idea that exalts itself against the Word or conflicts with what the Word of God says. Those are the things that we're supposed to cast down, the imaginations and the beliefs and the reasonings that we're supposed to cast down that, are, that create and develop into strongholds in our lives. It's an interesting thing that, that wrong thinking, God puts so much trust and confidence in the, the creation called man that our wrong thoughts can stop the power of God. Now, I know there's a segment of the church that has the idea that since God is all-powerful and God is sovereign, which I, I think what they mean by sovereign means that just God can do whatever he wants to do anytime he wants to do it. And so a lot of people have the idea that since God is all-powerful and God is sovereign, he can and will do whatever he wants to do, so whatever he's not doing means he doesn't want to do it. Whereas the Bible says you're the one that was given authority on the earth. You're the one that was given a choice in this life to do what you will. You're the one that was given a choice for life or death, blessing or cursing. It's up to you and not God. So the high-mindedness would be obstacles to anything that the Bible says, anything or everything that the Bible says belongs to us or that we can have because we're in part of God's family or that we can have because we've been given authority and power over the devil. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I want you to notice that. If he had just said lovers of pleasure, we would understand that that could mean anything. But where it says lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, it's comparing their relationship with God to their relationship with themselves. See, somebody that's not saved, if we identified them or described them as being lovers of pleasure, what's well, the big deal? 
that would be understandable. But if we said they loved pleasures more than they loved God, at what point did they devise or de develop any love of God whatsoever? Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as a man speaking the word of God into his heart. You exercising your authority in the name of Jesus by whom you have access into the kingdom of heaven to say that for you, you are free from the influence of sickness and disease. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. The Bible teaches us to live in such a way that we can be counted worthy to escape. And the escape is the rapture. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Having a form of godliness, this is not talking about the church, it's still talking about the world. Having a form of godliness means they developed some sort of moral virtue system to justify what they do. Have you heard people saying, we need to be on the right side of history concerning some of the junk that they're trying to do? What is that? It's them trying to attach a virtuous characteristic to what they want done. We're just looking out for the little guy. We're just trying to help the oppressed. We just want equality for all men and all women. Folks, most of the people that say that couldn't care less. They're just trying to take some kind of moral high ground to break all the rules so that nothing is wrong, nothing is illegal. Everything is acceptable. And that's what the devil wants things to be. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. One translation says, turn away in horror. Now skip down with me to verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I think some of the greatest laughter that takes place in the universe is the devil laughing at the people that he's using. I'm not sure who to attribute it to. It was either Stalin or Lenin. Russian presidents of many years ago that, that both are responsible for the murders of tens of thousands of people. One of them coined the phrase useful idiots, talking about their own people who were supporting the leader, whichever one of the two it was. People that would support the leader because of what he said that he was doing things for when in reality, he was just trying to control the people himself. And he called them useful idiots. I'm sure 
that the devil laughs his head off at the people that he has doing his work without any clue that they're doing things that are evil. Deceiving and being deceived. Evil men and seducers shall, worse, shall wax worse and worse, be deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. Now, who, what does he mean by that? Is Paul talking about himself? Is he talking about remember the things that I taught you? Well, that may be a little part of it. But we need to recognize that just as John wrote to the church, We've got a witness from the Holy Ghost, and we know all things. There's an anointing, an unction, is the, uh, the two words that John uses in writing to the church. You have an unction, an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. It literally means that a person that's developing in themselves in the Word, they don't have to be spiritually mature, but someone that is developing themselves in the Word, they have a, a, a right and wrong switch on the inside of them. They can know by the witness of the Holy Ghost, by the life of God within, they can know whether something is right or wrong. And it's a funny thing because so many times you got Christians, believers, people that have been saved for a long time, they'll get sucked into stuff that's wrong when brand new believers, brand new Christians knew all the time that they shouldn't. You know what's right and you know what's wrong. So continue, Timothy, in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Notice the thing that overcomes and subdues all of that other stuff that he talked about the last season. The conditions of mankind, the conditions of society, the conditions of the world that we live in at the end of the end. All of that is overcome by the wisdom of salvation. Now, he's not talking about, he can't be talking about just being wise enough to get saved. Because you know as well as I do, that in itself doesn't bring wisdom for you to live your life. It's a good decision. Good choice to make. Supremely good choice to make. That doesn't mean somebody is going to be wise in their life. But Paul says that's the purpose for the word. To give you wisdom, to develop you in wisdom. So that you can overcome the world that you're living in. And from the things that he described... in many ways the things that are taking place in our world our present day satisfies the criteria that he prophesies now why do we want to do that why is the word so important verse 16 all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction of righteousness. Where it says all uh, scriptures inspired by God, one meaning of that, he uses the word pneuma. It, the word pneuma is translated spirit, it's translated breath. It means a variety of different things. And you need to understand, 
or I'm sure you do understand, that the Greeks didn't come up with a word. They didn't, when the Greek language was first originated, nobody was sitting around and saying, okay, now what are we going to use as a word to describe the Holy Ghost? And so Paul was left with using words that could fit or apply or that he did apply the power of God in the presence of the Holy Ghost with, but that was not their original meanings, which means words that are used to describe God and his power and his character are always going to be lacking because they're secular words trying to describe spiritual things. But here where it says uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, one meaning is God breathed, one meaning is music. And here's the reason. It carries the idea that breath is blown through a flute to make a musical or a wonderful sound. Another meaning is fragrance or smell. And the Bible is telling us, if we apply those things, the Bible is telling us things that stink in our own lives, the Word can make beautiful. Things that look destroyed in our own life, the Word of God can add music and beauty to it. Notice that it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. I'll just take one of these and look at it real quick. Doctrine just means teaching. Reproof means to turn you back into the right direction. The word correction is the one I want you to see first of all, or primarily. And that is this word connection, or correction, excuse me. The word correction carries with it the idea that somebody's been knocked flat on their back by circumstances in life. This word lifts them up to stand straight again. That's the correction it's talking about. It's not talking about God or doesn't mean God's looking for a place to come down on you hard because you've messed up. He's always looking for a place to stand you up and to restore you. Final verse of the chapter, last one I want to look at, is so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This word is used in uh, nautical terms, conveying the idea of a boat. And the word picture that, uh, that this sets out is, is pretty simple. It means that there are two kinds of boats. One is a little rowboat, small, leaking through the hull, not designed for any great length or great journey, not designed to be used for any long period of time, certainly not one that can weather the storms that come against it, but by the Word of God. He can take the original condition that he finds us in and create a boat with sails and plenty of oars of great size that can travel any long distance and stand up to any storm of life. That's what thoroughly furnished means. It means completely equipped so that you can handle the storms of life and you don't have to worry about how long the journey is. Your boat will carry you there. That's what the Word of God does for our lives. That's what the Word of God does for us. That's our defense against this season that we're trapped by, the work of the devil that's going on on every hand. That's our defense. 
So folks, don't worry about what the world does around us. Don't worry about laws that are designed to take your kids away from you or reduce your control over them. Don't worry about any of that kind of stuff. I'm not going to worry about whether they outlaw my ability as a pastor to speak moral absolutes. So we don't live in a day where we should be afraid. One of the, uh, one of the meanings of the words that were used, I missed this one as I went by, but it's talking about where it speaks of uh, traitors and betrayal. It literally means when the laws protect those that are evil, not those that are good. And folks, we're fast approaching that. We're fast approaching that. So what are we going to do? We're going to use the word of God and sail through life. Doesn't mean we won't have trouble. Don't, doesn't mean we won't be challenged. But folks, if God could give Paul the words to preach on the day of Pentecost and explain what was going on that he had no clue about. Now you're telling me, tell, think about this. How much time do you think Paul spent in Joel's prophecy? I'm sorry, not Paul, Peter. How much information did Peter have about Joel and what Joel prophesied about the last days? Folks, he didn't know anything about it. He may have heard it preached once or twice. He may have heard something about it in the synagogue, but it's not like he's studying up on Joel's prophecies. But when the time came, God gave him the words to describe it. God gave him the words. Standing before magistrates and rulers, God gave Peter and Paul the things to say. He'll do the same for us. He'll do exactly the same for us. This know in the last of the end times, perilous times will come. Fierce times will come. Circumstances will surround us that the, that the devil is designed to reduce our strength. But we're going to have to make a choice not to let that occur. We're going to have to make a choice to be bold whether we feel bold or not. We're going to have to make a choice to be strong whether we feel strong or not. We're going to have to make a choice to stand upon the word because it is the word of God. And God's promised that anybody that does that will never be ashamed. He'll see us through on, on every hand. Folks, the world literally is going to hell around us. And Paul's telling us by the Holy Ghost that it's going to look like hell while we're still here. But we've got something that the devil can't counter. The Word of God that thoroughly furnishes us and equips us for whatever comes down the road. Amen. Let's all stand together. Say this after me before, the, before we go. God is on my side. I will not fear what man will do unto me. Because God never fails, and neither does his word. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for being with us. One of the first things that God requires of us when we come into his family is to renew our minds to the word of God. That means to find out from God's word who we are in Christ and what he's purchased for us through his sacrifice. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb.
costly grace is the incarnation of God. Grace is costly. It is as sacred, holy, and precious as the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.